0: The Hammer, Chapter 27 Corvin scanned the surface of the water. There was nothing there but patches of white foam. The rakash was nowhere to be seen. His stomach churned at the memory of that voice calling his name. Jorid pushed firmly on the poles and Corvin plodded forward on shaking legs. Ahead of him, the wide stone levee curved out into the distance. To avoid looking at the water, Corvin concentrated on the road at his feet. He didn't like this feeling of being pushed along by Jord. The man had secretly taken the black knife. He didn't really know Jord yet his life and Kate's fate were in the man's hands. The wide stone wall they walked upon drew closer to the high crags of rock on the other side of the river. The wall turned sharply to the left and swept downward to meet the farthest point of the cavern. Where it terminated, a dense mist hung in the air with the faint roar of a waterfall. This road ends up by the falls at the edge of the core, but we must go down into the fields and then climb up to the settlement passages. The tone of George's words was that of a man resigned to do something he dreaded. Is there another way? Not to save your Kate. The words were bitter, but each step we take away from Kadir decreases our chances of rescuing Tirith. Corvin walked on in silence. How could they save Kate and rescue Tirith at the same time? He had promised Madame Torrig he would save Tirith, but how? Just ahead, a low building at the edge of the road stuck out over the river on sturdy pylons. Below it, the water rushed through a narrow gap in a high stone dam. The poles in his hands twisted as Jord directed him away from the river and toward an opening in the wall on the field side of the levee road. Stepping through, they descended a narrow stair that led to the raised side of a dry aqueduct that used to carry water down to the fields. The sides that formed the aqueduct were quite narrow, with the fields a good 20 feet below them. Corvin was glad when George suggested they step down into the empty waterway. Walking its smooth bottom, they passed sluice gates that would have allowed the water to flow into the secondary channels that fanned out over the valley floor. These, in turn, led to even smaller channels separating the fields below into a patchwork of irrigation lines. Between them were rectangular fields ploughed in neat rows where small plants lay withered in the dusty earth. "'What happened to the crops?' Corvin asked. "'Nobody noticed at first the light was fading. "'But once people realized the seeds of the Lumians were being eaten, everyone tried to get a share for himself. "'Soon the light was too dim to support the crops. "'Lumians need a critical mass to sustain themselves. "'There's not enough of them left now here in the core. Unless there is a miracle, soon all will be dark. Maybe the people who face the wasting are the fortunate ones. Corvin heard the hopelessness in the man's voice. Jord, I really don't know how to use the hammer or what I can do to help. But if the healer can make Kate better and keep her alive longer, I would leave her there to help you rescue Tirith. Jord did not answer. They walked on, and Corvin wondered whether George's continued silence meant that he didn't think Corvid would be much help, or that it was too late to help Tirith. The aqueduct ended at a dry pool at the base of a steep hill that rose up against the side of the cavern. Rock walls separated the incline into terraces full of dead vegetation, the path snaking its way up over short sets of stairs at each switchback. They had climbed for what seemed like half a day when they encountered a stairwell that rose through an enclosed passage in the retaining wall. Corvin put his head down and struggled up the steep flight of steps. Reaching the top, he looked up again. A tall man, armed with a bow, stood waiting for them. Corvin tried to retreat, but George didn't budge. "'It's not real,' George said dryly. Corvin looked again. It was only a mannequin, its face painted onto a cloth bag stuffed with dried leaves, its mouth twisted to one side in a sloppy grin, and he seemed to laugh at them as they passed. He was there to keep the rantals away from the crops.' "'Are Rantles birds?' Corvin asked. "'I do not know this word, birds. "'Rantles were fierce creatures with arms covered in skin that could soar on the air. "'They would eat our crops, so we had marksmen shoot them out of the air. "'This is how they discovered they could use arrows to cut down the Lumians within range. "'Now all that's left is that patch high in the center. "'Were the Rantles large?' "'I have heard tales from beyond this place that in days gone by they could be much larger than a man.' but I've only seen one as big as my forearm. When I was younger, they died out with the crops. Did they have forked tails and beady black eyes? Who told you that? The rebel leader had one on his head. Right, George said. I saw that. It was a fake. He claims to be Rantelic to impress his followers. What's that? George sighed as if the conversation was tiring him out. Supposedly, the Rantelics were a race of men that could communicate with the Rantels. The flying creatures would spy on our land and then show them what they saw by connecting to their Rantelic masters. Personally, I think it was superstitious nonsense. Besides, the Rantels are all dead. He sounded so sure that Corvin began to doubt what he had seen. Maybe the rebel leader's headpiece had just fallen off when the Roman candle hit him, and he had imagined the rest. Leaving the terraces behind, they carried Kate over rocky ground that sloped gently up toward a series of dark tunnel entrances cut into the cavern wall. These are the tunnels that lead to the settlements. The Rantals used to roost in the caves, so the ground is fertile with their guano. The palace has moved some of our remaining Lumians to where the ceiling is low enough to grow food. Now our people work in those caverns, tending the plants under armed guard. Why do they need guards? The penalty for eating food without permission is death. The journey to the tunnel entrances took much longer than Corvin expected. Distances were deceiving without any landmarks by which to judge the size of things. Small rocks in the distance turned out to be huge boulders. Even with his grandfather's slippers, his feet were killing him by the time they arrived at the settlement entrances. We'll take the one furthest to the right, George said, but let's first put the girl down and rest. It felt wonderful to stretch. Without the weight of the litter, Corvin's step was so light he thought he could jump right over the wall beside the path. As he drew close, he saw it would not be a good idea, for the other side was a cliff that dropped to the fields below. He leaned over the wall. At the base of the precipice, a stream rushed out to join the main river just above the falls. Through the mist, he could see a wide horseshoe of rushing water descending into a dark hole. Turning, he found Jord staring back down the path. Corvin joined him. Is something wrong? Something is moving, down by the stuffed man. There, behind the wall and the tier below it. Corvin squinted at the place Jord pointed out. Someone was walking toward the stairs where they'd passed the scarecrow. The top of a red hood bobbed above the high wall. Let's get inside the tunnel. Jord bent down and picked up the litter. If he is following us, he won't know which entry we took. Corvin's skin prickled. George's plan wouldn't work if it were someone who did not need to see them to be able to follow. They hurried through the entrance and up a steep incline. The air was moist and smelled like a barn long overdue for a cleaning. Luminescent purple moss hung in thick swatches from the roof, providing enough light for them to avoid tripping on the uneven floor. After a short distance, the tunnel leveled out and ran straight ahead for what seemed like miles, George urged them on, but Corvin could tell by the tugs on the poles that the priest was constantly looking over his shoulder. The passage twisted and turned, and they fell back into a steady, plodding pace. Corvin's arms ached. How much longer could he keep going? They traveled in silence around many corners before George spoke. I am grateful for your offer to help me rescue Tirith. I don't think I can do it alone. They turned another corner. As soon as we get your Kate to the healer, we must make haste to go to Tirith. I did not see it clearly at first, but now I am certain that her fate is intertwined with the future of the Kor. Her blood has permeated the seeds from the mother plant. George's pace faltered. If she dies, the seeds die. We all die. An enormous weight pressed down on Corvin. The fate of the Kor was resting on his shoulders, but what could he offer? He had meant what he said, but right now he was so tired he could hardly think. The tunnel began to descend. It twisted through a series of tight corners before they emerged into a low cavern. There were no lumions, just a few fire sticks around the perimeter and a bright spot far off to the right. George slowed his pace. All the soldiers will be out by the light guarding the workers. Take the path to the left, and let's hope Jockton still lives in the same place. They passed the entrances to cliff dwellings carved into the side of the cavern. Between the dark doorways, narrow steps climbed up to dwellings on higher levels. Some stairs were cut at impossible angles, where the wall jutted out to join the ceiling. The poles were almost yanked from his hand, sending Corvin sprawling to the ground beside Kate. Corvin let the poles go, jumped to his feet, and glared at Jorid. Why did you do that? The priest placed his end of the litter on the ground, turned Corvin around and pointed down. A deep pit opened at his feet. Far below, water flowed past jagged rocks. Oh, sorry, Jorid. I was too busy looking around. He pressed his hands to his head, trying to force his mind back to alertness. Then, muscles trembling with exhaustion, he leaned in to get a closer look. He had read about formations like these. An underground river would weaken the ceiling of its channel until it collapsed. This one had fallen in to form a low, rocky island surrounded by fast-flowing water. In my world, these are called cenotes, he told Jorid. Ancient people thought they were doors to the world of the gods, and they'd sacrifice young women by throwing them in. Jord nodded. Then our worlds have something in common, for that is what is done at the Wasting, when the water threatens to rise and flood the city. Here we call them karst. The soldiers use this one to execute workers who try to escape or who eat food without permission. They are lowered in on that. He pointed to a crude metal cage suspended from a crane. The rest gather around to watch them die. They drown them? No, no. Look there, by the largest rock. At first, Corvin saw only a dark shadow. It shifted, took shape, and two red eyes stared at him. It was the monster from his nightmare.